Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Friday, June 21st, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and he really is here with me. He and I uh, wrapped earlier tonight our NBA draft coverage for CBS Sports HQ here in Stamford, Connecticut. So it's 2.45 in the morning. We're in Stamford, Connecticut. My God. I got a flight that leaves White Plains at 7 a.m., but we wanted to get a podcast in, so here we are. How you doing, Matt Norlander? It's we have spent almost twenty four consecutive hours together. Woo! You should just move up to Connecticut. Nope. Yeah, I think you should. I think we can make this uh, this podcast a face to face thing much more frequently. Hey, listen, we did an HQ show for seven plus hours. <laughs> oh God, that was a blast. <laughs> you killed it. I killed it. Shout outs to early shouts to Hakeem Dermish esteemed host and we uh, had Avery Johnson he was great on the show in addition to Bill Ryder Evan Daniels Reed Forgrave it was fun times all around Zion goes one as expected we're going to obviously deal with the NBA draft on this episode we're going to have we're going to play it fun and loose here GP and I don't get a lot of chances to do face-to-face podcasts we're going to do that for you right here and now Uh, we know that you know uh, what happened at the top of the draft with Zion then John Morant then R.J. Barrett, as expected, and then the wrinkle uh, in terms of New Orleans trading the pick to go to DeAndre Hunter at fourth. GP, let's just uh, let's let's kick it off with the top of the draft here. I mean, what sticks out to you? What are the um, the biggest talking points the Friday after the draft, and the things that you think will wind up uh, being most remembered? You know, five, ten years from now. Well, let's spend this. just a couple of minutes on the very top of the draft because this will go down for better or worse uh, as the Zion Williamson draft. It's no surprise that he went number one. We've known he was going to go number one probably since November. We've known he was going to play for the Pelicans since the moment the Pelicans secured the top pick in the NBA draft lottery. And yet, still, you saw it after his name was announced. He got emotional. He took a moment, bowed his head, uh, perhaps to pray, perhaps just to take a moment. But either way, he teared up, cried real tears. Because I don't care how long you've known that you were going to be exactly what he was, the number one pick in the draft. Still, hearing your name called um, is a dream come true. It's the realization of a dream. Imagine every little kid who plays basketball dreams of maybe having that moment. So few, almost none ever experience it. Zion Williamson got to experience it, and I thought we saw real raw emotion. Uh, This is a guy who um, will go on and probably do amazing things, but he'll also always have this night when Adam Silver walked onto a stage, Barclays Center, and said, you are the number one pick in the 2019 NBA draft. Yeah, awesome moment. And uh, crying Zion meme, I think, might have been born tonight as well, passing the torch from from crying MJ, but maybe it it won't quite stick. Fantastic. The idea of bringing parents onto the interview platform with the players as well, I thought was was pretty inspired because it made for some some memorable emotional moments there. Zion Williamson, quick question for you. I didn't ask you this on HQ. Has Zion Williamson already hit his peak of, I don't want to say basketball relevance, because I think that he, just because of who he is and having the NBA platform, I think he'll have big moments. But with as big of a deal as he was at Duke from the start of November until basically now, um, I really think that you could say that he was the biggest story in all of basketball. Uh, is Zion Williamson ever going to match uh, that level of noise and, and relevance? Or is that even too much to ask considering what he did and how he became uh, 
the focus of so much coverage on multiple networks over the past seven months. Yeah, well, right now, what he is considered, what he is, is one of the 10 most famous basketball players on the planet, maybe five most famous basketball players on the planet. He's getting there already. And he is considered to be the next great thing. Now, once you're cons- when you are considered to be the next great thing, you are a big thing. But then you have to come you have to go and become the next great thing or else we won't forget about you, but we'll think of you differently pretty quickly. It was just two years ago. Lonzo Ball was supposed to be the next great point guard in that Lakers organization. He was going to be the thing with Magic Johnson's arm wrapped around him who brought that franchise back to where it ought to be. He was recently traded to New Orleans less than two years later. So this stuff can change on you. Uh, pretty quickly Uh, to be clear I'm betting on Zion Williamson but the truth is the bar's really high you know if he doesn't from this moment you know spend the next few years solidifying his place as an NBA all-star several years down the road competing if not winning MVPs someday getting a championship or three then he will by, by definition be considered something less than what on this night, people thought he was going to be. And so it's tough, man. He's going to have to become one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, to ever meet these expectations. Uh, the last person to enter the league with this type of hype was LeBron James, and somehow he uh, met the expectations, lived up to the hype. Blew past them, even. I think blew past them. Yeah. But, man, it's it's hard to blow past the expectations when the expectations are what they are. Yeah, and Zion's been built up and built up and built up, and rightfully so over the past seven months. Um, our sports culture sometimes just loves to tear people down. Um, I think Zion Williamson is more likely to be a, a multi-time all-star than an outright bust, but um, we'll see. I like, what, I like what the Pelicans did around him. Uh, Jackson Hayes going eighth. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think, are two fantastic picks. But real quick, um, let's talk about your Memphis Grizzlies. John Moranko second, to be expected. And then Brandon Clark falls way down to them. I just, for what they had, GP, just two picks. Uh, ton of fun there. Uh, I think Morant is a perfect culture fit. I think Clark is as well. And Memphis, you know, even though they got more work to do and they got, you know, they got a big hill to climb here, it wouldn't surprise me if they became like the NBA league pass sure. hit young team to watch taking that mantle from either Phoenix or Sacramento. I won't bore you with all the details, but this is a franchise that went to seven straight Western Conference playoffs with a core four of Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Marcus Saw, and Tony Allen. Um, they're all gone now. Mike Conley traded the last piece uh, the day before the NBA draft. Uh, this organization is also being run by a brand new front office, brand new president of basketball operations, a guy named Jason Wexer, who's a lawyer with no traditional basketball background. Zach Kleiman is now the de facto general manager, 30 years old, 30 years old, and lawyer. No traditional basketball background. And so people are obviously, I don't want to say skeptical, but curious. Like, what is that? These are the people running your basketball franchise now? And I think in a span of roughly 24 hours on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, they went a long way in not only um, eliminating some questions about themselves, but also providing hope Uh, to the fan base. They were able to move Mike Conley to Utah for a package that included three players, including Grayson Allen, who was a top 25 pick in last year's draft and didn't play much this year in Utah, but only because uh, a rookie draft in the 20s isn't going to play much for a playoff team, regardless of the rookie or the team. Um, They also got a first-round pick in this draft, the 23rd, and a future first-round pick, and they 
in this draft, once Brandon Clark started to slip, recognized maybe he won't come all the way to 23, but we can go up to 21 and get him. They take that Utah pick, turn it into 21. They take Brandon Clark, who fits perfectly, I think, in theory, besides Jaron Jackson Jr. And now you've got a young core of John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark to build around. I can just tell you from watching on social media and text messages from my friends, uh, people in Memphis, and I think people around the league, you think that Memphis knocked it out of the park tonight, and it's been a long time since you could say that about the Grizzlies, the lone exception being when they took Jaron Jackson fourth last year. Keep in mind, this is the same franchise that in 2009, after Blake Griffin was taken, decided to take Hashim Tabit when James Harden and Steph Curry were on the board. Uh, This franchise, basically from picking Mike Conley all the way up until when it picked Jaron Jackson Jr., just consistently missed in the first round. I think they got last year right. I think they got this year right. I do, too. I had Brandon Clark as a top 12 prospect in this draft. The reason why he slipped was of his age, uh, not a good uh, perimeter shooter, and that's about it because uh, high-level athleticism, really good defender. Well, he's uh, size stuff, too. He's short for his position, not a great wingspan for his yeah. position. But I'm with I like. I'm glad they took I, it. I think hey, I have gone on radio terrific. the day after the draft and absolutely destroyed the Grizzlies before. Yeah. It won't be like that tomorrow. They got John Morant. They got Brandon Clark. I'm happy. I think most people are. This was never a three-person draft. Uh, we spoke often about this on our HQ Draft Show and to our listeners of the podcast and those who were able to tune in and watch us. Our sincere thanks. We had a, we had a lot of fun on that show uh, all night long, uh, evaluating picks, grading picks, and uh, poking some fun at each other and, and just having a good time. But I have just railed against the idea that this is a three-person draft. No draft in the history of NBA drafts has ever been a three-person draft. You always have many more players than that that become relevant, starters, all-stars, Hall of Famers, what have you. Um, I think that the Hawks and the Pelicans prove that at at the very least by having some movement there at four. DeAndre Hunter goes to the Hawks. Um, I think that's a nice pick right behind, obviously, R.J. Barrett, who goes to the Knicks at three. And what wound up happening was one through seven in this draft – uh, shook out the way that just about everyone thought. Because yeah. then you had Garland 5 uh, to Cleveland, Culver 6 to Minnesota, Kobe White 7 to Chicago. There might have been a little bit of jumbling between 4 and 7 overall in terms of what players went where. But I, I like Hunter at 4. And um, and overall, like if you told me that two of Hunter, Garland, Culver, and White, two of those four wound up being better than two of the three of Zion, Ja, and RJ, GP, I... I I don't think that's implausible if you go back and look at the history of all NBA drafts, the second and third pick, and even obviously sometimes the first. It's just no sure thing. So just keep that in mind because you're not going to hear nearly as much hyper talk with Hunter or Garland, Culver or White, or even Jackson Hayes at eight, who I really, really like. But the potential's there. They could wind up being the bigger stars. People had different opinions on Garland and White. I like Darius Garland. You like Kobe White. Not you and I, but people. Sure. Um, people would argue over DeAndre Hunter and Jarrett Culver. But basically, as you point out, everybody had Zion Williamson, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, Jarrett Culver, Kobe White going one through seven in some order. And that is exactly what happened. They went one through seven in a certain order. So the draft really started at eight. And I know you liked um, what New Orleans did there. I was less of a fan of it, but Jackson Hayes went eight. And that's really where the draft started to throw some curveballs. If Jackson Hayes, who has high-level athleticism but is very raw, winds up hitting and clicking, and Zion Williamson does the same, uh, this draft will go down uh, 
not an infamy because that's a negative connotation, but it will be an all-time draft for the Pelicans. And then uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, even further down, I think that he's got really uh, high-level potential. They took him at 17. I do like a lot of what's happened there. In between, you know, you had Cameron Johnson going 11th, which was Woo! the first stunner. Chuma Okiki at 16, another stunner. Um, I thought Brandon Clark was a mild surprise dropping as low as he did to 21. Grant Williams at 22, I can tell you that was surprising uh, to the point where Grant Williams and his camp did not attend the draft in Brooklyn because they weren't convinced he was going to be a first-round pick. Lo and behold, he goes to Boston GP. I really like that pick. And then um, the other surprise is Nasir Little dropping all the way to 25th. Darius Baisley, meanwhile, goes 23rd. Um, Jordan Poole to Golden State at 28 was surprising to me. And then Kevin Porter Jr. dropping all the way to 30. So that that's many of the picks in the first round. Um, we pan the Cam Reddish one in HQ. We pan Romeo Langford to Boston at 14. Um, it's nothing against the players. It's more about their styles, where they're going, and the other prospects that were available around them. Romeo Langford was one of the 20 best prospects in this draft, but I just don't think his particular skill set happens to set up all that well with what Boston has both in this draft hall and with its roster overall. Um, what things stand out to you? If you want to go to Reddish, we can. I don't have an issue with Cam Johnson at 11 because if he winds up being this incredible shooter, three years from now, if that's the case, from a talent perspective and from a production perspective, it's not going to matter whether Phoenix got him at 11 or if they, I know we've talked about this, wanted to wait and hang back until 16, 17, 18 and gotten him, which they could have done. But we'll see what winds up uh, happening. What else sticks out to you beyond the obviousness of the mainstream talking points that everyone's going to hear in all these other places about the top four or five picks? Well, let's focus on the two cams real quick. Um, I don't have much new to say about Cam Reddish. If you listen to this podcast, you know what I think of him. I, I, I see the same stuff that you guys see in terms of potential. Like, he looks great standing there. Uh, when he shoots it, if you just focus on his form and don't look at like whether the ball goes in or not, looks great. Um, but he hasn't been a great basketball player. He's been a great prospect, and I would not have taken him in the top ten. I'm not surprised he went in the top ten. I would not have taken him in the top ten. And there was a moment that I don't know if it got enough attention uh, on the day of the draft, but I thought it was significant, if only because it jibed with everything I've heard about Cam Reddish. Uh, there was a college basketball analyst on radio in North Carolina, the Dave Glenn Show, and he was a guest, uh, same way you're a guest on shows and I'm a guest on shows, and he's being asked about prospects, and he was asked about Cam Reddish. And this guest, this college basketball analyst on the show, he said, if Cam Reddish is a great three-point shooter, why does he never make three-pointers? And if he's a great athlete, why does he never get anything done at the rim? I just don't know what he does on a basketball court. And that wouldn't be uh, uh, eye-raising if it came from me, because you've heard it from me. If it came from Norlander, because you probably heard it from Norlander. If it came from most people who have jobs like us. But the college basketball analyst who said those things on radio publicly a few hours before the draft started was Chris Patola. And Chris Patola is not just a college basketball analyst. He's Mike Krzyzewski's son-in-law. And there's just no scenario where I can imagine Mike Krzyzewski's son-in-law is on radio saying those things about Cam Reddish, unless that's exactly what Mike Krzyzewski thinks about Cam Reddish. And if that's what Mike Krzyzewski thinks about Cam Reddish, I wouldn't touch him in the top ten. One pick later, Cameron Johnson. And that, as you point out, was the first real, like, what in the world? Because no matter what you think of Jackson Hayes, you could everybody could acknowledge Jackson Hayes might go in the top eight. Yeah. But Cameron Johnson going in the top 11? 
I don't think you can find one person who does this for a living who thought Cameron Johnson was going to go in the top 11. And imagine if you're a Suns fan. Earlier this week, you're projected to pick six, and the questions are whether you can get Darius Garland or maybe even Kobe White, you need a point guard. Fast forward through the draft, you've traded out of six down to 11 and end up taking somebody nobody had going in the top 15. That's Cameron Johnson. And like you said, he's a great shooter. I don't know what else he is, but he is a great shooter. But if you want to trade down to get Cameron Johnson, I don't think you need to trade down to 11. You could probably trade outside of the top 15 and get that done. Um, I'm not saying it'll be the most horrendous thing you've ever seen. It just does seem dumb in real time because you took the sixth pick in a draft where Jarrett Culver and Kobe White were both available to you, and you essentially flipped that for Cameron Johnson and one year of Dario Sarge. Huh? Yeah. It's not what I would have done if I were running the Phoenix Suns. I don't. I don't disagree with it on the surface, but I, if if he winds up being a, a really productive player down the line, and Cameron Johnson, uh, credit to him for, d- despite his age getting picked so high, I, it w- it was a stunner. Um, there was a so much of a stunner that Kobe White was amazing doing, reaction handling his press conference. I'm sure you guys have seen it, but he's handling his press conference, and somebody says Cameron Johnson was just picked 11th, and he went picked what? 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 Wow, bro. Wow. 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 Even Kobe White could not believe Cameron Johnson was picked 11th. And I know that, you know, the 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 commentary connected to that moment might be, look how happy Kobe White was for Cameron Johnson. And I'm sure he was happy. In fact, he said he verbalized it. I'm so happy right now. But he was surprised before he was happy. He was shocked before he was filled with joy. He could not believe Cameron Johnson was picked 11th in this or any other draft. It's true. Um, so I think we acknowledge Cam Reddish, uh, Cam Johnson, back-to-back Cams. Uh, reaches there. Didn't love the Romeo pick. I thought uh, Okiki at 16 to the Orlando was a little bit of a reach. Not too many other reaches in the first round. Um, do want to talk about what I think was the biggest uh, story of the first round not related to the lottery we'll get to that in just a second but first check this out the world of golf is on hiatus but thankfully for you the first cut podcast crew is not join mark immelman kyle porter greg ducharme and myself rick gaiman as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time no tournament no problem We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey everybody, it's Will Brinson, host of the Pick 6 podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL podcast. We know the sports world is very different than it was a few weeks or even months, certainly months ago. But I'm here to let you know we will remain daily. We are dedicated to bringing you content every day. It's not changing. That's just what we do. It's sort of our thing. We had you covered for free agency in March. And in April, we will be draft central. 
breaking down all the rumors and all the possibilities for what happens, not in Vegas, but maybe some television studios somewhere during the NFL draft. So join me and the cast of characters for Pick 6 Monday through Friday, available to you first thing in the morning. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast shows. Okay, GP, so... You have Nasir Little fall to 25 to Portland. And as we talked about on HQ, um, it was just an ongoing development that was exacerbated by the fact that Nasir Little, a year ago, projected top three pick almost universally, um, top five for sure, top two even in some some uh, some mock drafts. He was the second. He was the third-ranked prospect in the class of 2018. Um, he drops to 25. Darius Baisley, meanwhile, eschews playing at Syracuse bypasses even going into the G League, gets a lot of money to become an intern for New Balance, and he winds up going 23rd. So we're a college basketball podcast. Obviously, this specific one is very draft-oriented and reaction-oriented, but there is a college basketball talking point that we should touch on real quick here. Um, and that's ba- basically getting picked ahead of Little by two spots, whereas if Little had never played a game of college, I don't see, even if everything else played out the way it did, I think his absolute floor would have been like sixth. The floor. Instead, all the way down to 25, basically goes 23. My opinion is if you're a five-star prospect, a top 20, top 25 type prospect, this kind of development at least probably uh, sparks more of a conversation about where you might want to go if you want to consider some stuff overseas because it's not like the other guys who came back and improved their draft stock, DeAndre Hunter, John Morant, even Zion Williamson, who was the rare one-and-done player, like, undeniably college did him great but Nasir Lillo was not done well uh by any means and his his situation juxtaposed against Baisley I think is really one of the most interesting things about draft night well some people would say listen Nasir Lillo if he can't play he can't play and he was always going to get exposed at some point but um if he never played college basketball he would have got exposed at some point after he was picked fifth or sixth in an NBA draft because uh, this time last year, basically everybody had R.J. Barrett number one, and basically everybody also had Nasir Little number two or number three. I had him number two. And you might say if Nasir Little never played a college basketball game, he would have subsequently been passed by Zion Williamson, and then R.J. Barrett would have still been ahead of him, and John Morant would have jumped ahead of him, and so now he's the four, fourth pick in the draft. Okay, he's still the fourth pick, fifth pick, sixth pick. I agree with you. There's no way he goes outside of the top five or six, but instead he goes to North Carolina, and he plays behind two upperclassmen who are very good. And uh, let's be honest, he he also wasn't very good. I was told by people around that program that when they got him on campus, they realized pretty quickly that he doesn't know how to play the way that they thought he knew how to play. Yeah, and he didn't pick up the things that they needed him to pick up. Uh, as quickly as they needed him to do it. And when you are competing with other freshmen who might be picking up, trying to pick up stuff too, that's one thing. But when you're competing against Cam Johnson and Luke May for playing time, well, exactly. good luck. So he got caught in a bad spot. But either way, um, it cost him dearly. And not just like in prestige or awards, but in money, millions. If you'll, for the sake of the conversation, acknowledge that he could have, without ever playing a basketball game, been maybe the second pick in the draft. The second pick in the draft is slotted to sign a two-year guaranteed contract worth $14.9 million. First-round picks. That's all guaranteed money. Guaranteed money. If you are selected because of the rookie scale in the first round, 
you know, there is some percentages that can be negotiated, but basically you're going to make this amount of money. It's a two-year contract worth X. For the two-pick, it's a two-year contract worth $14 million, $14.9 million. For the 25th pick, which is Nasir Little, it's a two-year contract worth $3.6 million. That's a difference of $11.3 million. You can reasonably suggest that Nasir Little, by playing college basketball, as opposed to doing nothing, cost himself in excess of $10 million. And you can especially make that point when, as you point out, Darius Baisley went two spots ahead of him because there's not a person on the planet, including all the people who run professional basketball franchises in this country, who would have taken Darius Baisley ahead of Nasir Little a year ago. What is the only thing that happened between then and now? Darius Baisley never played a game, and Nasir Little played a bunch. And now Nasir Little went two spots below Darius Baisley, cost himself millions and millions of dollars. And I don't think it's going to change the sport because, as you pointed out, Zion Williamson was a five-star prospect, projected top ten pick. He went to college and probably made like $75 million based on being the number one pick in the draft. Oh, yeah. Plus the shoe deal, maybe more. Maybe So this can cut both ways. But it cut the wrong way on Nasir Little. I don't think it's changing the sport, but it is something to consider. If you were already projected to be a top five guy, top ten guy, do you want to go to college and risk being a borderline first-round guy? Or, in Bo Bowl's case, slipping completely out of the first round? I don't think Bo Bowl slipped for the same reasons Nasir Little slipped, but... Um, there's a possible lesson there about what are you risking by putting yourself on display and what are you preserving by just taking an internship at New Balance, working out, but not playing in any competitive games whatsoever. Yeah, it's it, – I, I didn't expect this. I, I thought there were – Well, <laughs> I mean, no, if you could have gotten action on that pre-draft, well, let me tell basically you, going before Little. Oh, yeah. Or how about well, – well, this is all you need to know. Forget what I thought about the draft or you thought about the draft. Um, Vegas had the over-under on where will Nasir Little be picked in the draft at 12.5. He got picked 25th. I think that's double. Uh, your math is on point right now. He took uh, – Vegas doesn't usually miss by that much. Um, so it was an awful, awful night for Nasir Little. It doesn't mean he can't go on and have a nice career. But here's the other thing. The other issue with slipping – in a draft is that you almost always are going to end up on a better team, which makes it harder to play. That's right. So, like, if Nasir Little went to North Carolina and had trouble getting on the court because of players who were already there, now you're going to Portland. And I don't have Portland's roster right in front of me, but it is much harder for a one-and-done rookie to get quality minutes for a team competing for a Western Conference title than it is to get quality minutes for uh, a team that's competing for much, much less, and in some cases, absolutely nothing. Yeah, the, the continuation of the Nasir Little story will be very interesting. Maybe we look up and he's a top-ten player from this draft. It wouldn't be a stunner um, because you'll so often see guys that were highly rated coming out of high school. They get, they're mostly given the benefit of the doubt. That's why Little's situation, like it's, it's – even Michael Porter, who had health concerns, didn't drop nearly as far um, – 
real quick to wrap up the first round, then we'll talk to Bull, I'll talk about Bull Bull, and maybe get out of here. It's getting late. Um, it's been late, bro. Uh, it's been late, that's for sure. There is a, a nice window here in that first round, though. It starts with Thibel at 20 to Philly, Clark 21 to Memphis, 22 Grant Williams, Boston, Basley, Oklahoma 23, Ty Jerome to Phoenix at 24, Little 25 to Portland, Dylan Windler to the Cavs at 26, Fiondo Cabangeli. 27 to the Clippers. I think there's a good chance that we get at least two of those guys, if not three, that wind up having really impressive college careers of that group. I actually think that I love Thibel, but at 20, I think that's about right. To me, Kevin Gelly went about six to eight spots too low. I think he's going to, uh, you, I, I'm going to preempt your line here because I agree with you. you. You know, you don't think there are going to be 23 players that wind up being better than Ty Jerome in this draft. I would agree with that. I don't think there will be, 12 or 13 players that wind up six or seven years from now better in this draft than Fiondo Capengeli at 27 of the Clippers. I think that's an absolute steal. So as we get to the back end of the first round, just wanted to highlight a couple of guys. I like Capengeli. You're all the way in on Jerome. I am. You know, the Grizzlies started on uh, Thursday morning with the 23rd pick. And I only bring them up because I end up having to talk about them a lot on my radio show. But I had Ty Jerome slotted to go uh, there. Um, and I told Memphis fans, you should be happy if you get him. Because his 6'5 guard can play either position, dribble, pass, shoot, 40% from three-point range, national champion, can obviously guard because you have to at Virginia. Uh, I, I understand that there are probably – um, 23 players with higher upsides than Ty Jerome, I guess. I'm not certain of that. But if you want to make the argument, I'll concede the point. But then I'll come back with this. Uh, there's not going to be 23 players better than Ty Jerome from this draft. There just won't be. I mean, we are in a world where in the NBA these days, players who can just dribble, pass, and shoot and know how to play. Just guys who know how to play, who can dribble, pass, and shoot, they figure it out. They figure out a way to stay on the court. Ty Jerome is all of those things. I'll be shocked if he's not on an NBA roster for a long, long time. Yeah, I love his game. Um, three Virginia players picked in this draft. Hunter, then Jerome. Kyle Guy, rightfully selected. He went down in the back end of the second round. He'll go to the Kings with the 55th pick. I want to close on Bowl Bowl, but before we get there, just a few uh, few name drops. Love Justin Wright Foreman out of Hofstra going 53 to the Jazz. Uh, rightfully rewarded. Tremont Waters out of LSU gets picked, uh, goes to Boston. Nas Reed did not. I think he is – Nas Reed and Lou Dort were two of the biggest uh, snubs here. Uh, Carson Edwards was the biggest name taken in the second round. He went 33 to the Celtics there. They needed some shooting. They got him. I love Eric Paschal to the Golden State Warriors. I hated their um, – uh, Jordan Poole pick in the first round, but I thought Pascal was actually a pretty good pickup, and then they picked up Dietrich Lawson after the draft. A um, couple other guys of note there, but we'll skip on out, and we'll let's just wrap here because uh, it's been late. Let's wrap with Bull Bull. Drops all the way to 44, goes to Denver. That's the second straight year they take a reclamation project off an injury. Last year it was Michael Porter Jr., who they got late in the first round. You know, similar to Nasir Little, Michael Porter Jr. one time was considered a top-two pick. Bull Bull sets a record. I don't think we'll ever see the likes of this again because I think the NBA is going to try its damnedest even though it, it does every year you can't have a guy invited to a green room gp sitting there like that you cannot have him going second round generally speaking but even like okay 31 34 35 maybe he bull bull was sitting there till 44 and this is a guy who plenty of people still acknowledge like just if if you could just extract 
the talent out of him. Top 10 in this draft. Drops to 44. Uh, a cautionary tale, and we wait to see. I, I, I will root for him to prove a lot of people wrong because it just it was a sad sight seeing him sit there that long. Yeah, it was sad. You know, I, I, I always uh, spend a lot of time you know, trying to imagine myself in people's shoes. And, you know, if you're a basketball player, and Bull Bull's been one for a long time, perhaps his whole life, you, you always dream of this night. It's supposed to be right up there with your wedding night, with the birth of your child. You know, this night you look forward to forever. And now it's here. It's your dream. Your dream coming true. You've been invited to the green room at the NBA draft. Amazing. Now it's your nightmare. I mean, you're sitting there, and it gets lonely. Like, when you sit down, Zion's over there, and Ja's right there. It's a party to start. There's it's a par- and then you look up, you're the only one still there. You ever looked up and been the only dude in the bar? That's GP. So this is the first draft I did not attend since I've been average draft since 2011. When you get to like the mid 40s at the Barclays Center and no one's left in the green room, most of the media is not even there. The only it's lonely. It, it is a depressing scene from about 44, 45 on. Yeah. And Bull Bull was still at that table with that spiderweb jacket on. I felt like, my God, you ever make me, you ever been in a bar by yourself middle of the night with a spider jacket on? I haven't, but I feel like you've done that at least once in your life. I mean, probably. If I had to bet yes or no, I'd, it sounds like something I've done. Sounds reminds me of me, and so um, yeah, I felt sick for him. That's a like. Keep in mind, Bobo coming into college has always been told, "Yeah, man, you're a lottery." He's never been told he's not a lottery pick. And then even heading into this, if you're trying to prepare him for like, you know, hey, just want to make sure you know where we're at. Still, first round pick. Nope, I, almost nobody thought that he would actually slip past the mid-20s. Maybe the early 30s, but then somebody's just going to scoop him up because you just do that at some point. 44? And I'm not even saying they're wrong. I, it seems clear to me some franchises just decided he's not on our board. We don't take him no matter what. Because he's seven foot two, coming off foot surgery. Uh, we don't know if he can guard in space. The league's getting smaller like you know the, the, the questions about work ethic focus love of the game there's like when you talk about reasons not to draft somebody he's got a whole bunch now he's got a whole bunch of reasons to draft him too or at least some but there's a whole bunch of reasons not to and so i, th- I think that what we saw in that draft him slip to 44 was a um, a byproduct of a, a, a lot of different things including the way the game is played but i i felt i felt sad for him that's a lonely situation and a humbling situation. And so all you can hope is that if there really are um, issues with his focus, with his love of the game, with his desire to want to be as great as he can be, that this is the thing that humbles him and makes him realize for the first time, dude, just because your whole life people told you you are going to be a lottery pick never meant that it was going to happen, and then it didn't happen. And now if you don't go earn your way, uh, you won't even be in the NBA at all. Forget being an NBA star, which is what I'm sure you thought you were going to be your whole life. You won't even be in the NBA at all. I don't know that it'll be a wake-up call for him. And perhaps he doesn't need a wake-up call. Maybe he just needs the game to be played differently or um, you know, a, 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 a more fluid movement. It just might not be there for him. But... Uh, what a humbling experience when you anytime this is the simplest way to put it anytime w- the night you thought were going to be your dream ends up being your nightmare 
That's a hell of a turn of events. Yeah, and it would be great to see him find some real success there. Uh, I said it on the HQ show, if if we look up in a few years from now and, and Bull Bull is, you know, even an NBA-level starter, it's going to be an indictment on most, if not the entire league, that he dropped this far. But he had so many uh, red flags around him. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, I will note, just in college basketball podcast, here are some notable guys that did not get drafted. By the time you listen to this, most, if not all of them, will have agreed to some sort of two-way deals because that's how this goes. But uh, no Nas Reed, who I think is going to be a starter in three years. No Lou Dort out of Arizona State. Terrence Davis out of Ole Miss. That's great workouts. He didn't get anything. Jonte Porter, we talked about Michael Porter Jr. Jonte Porter does not get drafted. Uh, Zillin Cheatham, Shamari Pons, a little bit of a surprise mm. there as well. Um, and then uh, Lewis King out of Oregon. So they're just uh, a couple names that popped to mind. Dedrick Lawson as well, but he uh, he signed a deal with Golden State. We are. And by the way, that might not be the worst thing. Because no, it go- might not. Golden State's going to need cheap labor to go with all these other contracts. That's true. They need cheap contracts, and so... Uh, you, you know, Diedrich could look up and be playing for the Warriors next year. Yeah, yes. I'll also know that Tyus Battle was not drafted. He would have been drafted last year, came back, and he did not get picked. Sometimes these uh, things, uh, it's just it's a well, tough we deal, t- man. Well, we talk about John Morant coming back to school, improving himself tremendously. P.J. Washington coming back to school, yeah, tr- improving himself tremendously. The other stories are out there. Tyus Battle comes back to school, boom, the other way. Daniel Gafford would have been a first-round pick, I think, last yeah. year. Decides to come back to school. I'm going to become a lottery pick. No, you're not. Now you're in the second round. So uh, just keep that in mind going forward. Uh, not everybody who says they're going to improve their stock actually does. Uh, there's the Tyus Battle and the Daniel Gafford stories too. No doubt about it. Okay, so GP, we've done a great job in getting you a getting you a podcast every week of this off season so far. But GP's going to take a vacation next week, so the next That's pod true. after this one will be in July, and then we're going to be on the road in July. We'll do some more face to face, person to person podcasts because uh, this is a great rhythm, a great flow that we've got going on here. So, uh, your final words before a much deserved, long awaited, highly anticipated vacation for the Parish family. My final words are as follows. <laughs> okay. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to the homie Larnell. It's been fun doing the face-to-face podcast. I don't know that I want to talk to anybody at my age at 318 in the morning, but if I got to talk to somebody, I'd like it to be you. This is a, this is a podcast record, by the way. We have never gone this late. I am exhausted. So am I. We'll share the uh, we'll share the story behind the story behind the podcast. Maybe some weeks from now. Let's wrap. This <laughs> It'll up. make for a good story someday. <laughs> not right but now. Not today. Not today. Not today. <laughs> All right. You know what? F it. I'm I'm gonna wrap this up. Be sure to rate the podcast in <laughs> iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We're available on Stitcher, on Spotify, all that stuff. It's the off season. If you have not yet rated the podcast, we could use a few five stars and nice reviews. Be sure to get that done right now. I'm letting Paris off the hook early. He's gonna take a vacation. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. Thanks for listening. We'll chat you in July. See ya.